Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. And so far in the 30-day challenge, I've introduced you to three of my favorite outdoor workshop exercises that I do when we're uh, on retreat. The first one was called Splatter Vision. I hope you've been able to practice that, which is using your peripheral vision. It's a really important exercise to do every single day. And I would probably recommend the Splatter Vision exercise for at least uh, three months. Um, you only need to do it for one minute a day. And if, you, if you'd like me to remind you about the Splatter Vision, you hold your um, arms out to the side, you wiggle your fingers, and you look straight ahead. And you keep wiggling those fingers and, and bringing your arms in towards the center until you can see your fingers wiggling on both sides while looking straight ahead. Now, this is a really important exercise for the purposes of um, meetings. It's important exercise for the importance of remaining calm while you discipline your children, which we call soft eyes. It's a really important exercise for being able to coach other people because if you stare at people or you glare at people, they will think you're being uh, aggressive or attacking them. So it's a great way to control an environment. And I strongly recommend getting the habit of using this peripheral vision even while you're driving. It's still safe. So the, 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 as I said, hold your arms out the side, wiggle your fingers, bring them in bit by bit from 180 degrees apart, bit by bit at about 160, 145 degrees apart, which is sort of a bit of a V shape with your arms coming forward towards the middle you'll start to see your fingers wiggling and then you just take them out a little bit further. And it's just a stretchy, stretch the eyes exercise while you look straight ahead at something softly. So the second exercise we did was the small world. The small world was to get down your hands and knees on the grass, stare at a flower or, uh, or, or, or a piece of uh, territory on the, on the ground, mark it out if you need to with a couple of sticks or a few blades of grass and just stare at it and, and see if you can see what details you can see within it that you can't see from above. And this is the macro-micro uh, perspective and it really helps you get used to the fact that within everything that you see in life, every single thing that you see in life that you have an emotion about, you're actually having not an experience of life, you're having a memory. And to really experience life, you need to get down and on your hands and knees and really have a good look. Now, let me just explain what I've just said once again. Uh, we smell, for example, a rose. A rose smells beautiful, doesn't it? You, we smell it and we go, mmm, a rose. But actually, we're looking at a rose and we're remembering what a rose smells like and we're comparing what we're smelling to the memory we have of what a rose smells like. So, for example, if someone was to uh, put a rose scent in a house, you go, oh, I smell roses. So that memory that stays in our brain is deliberately designed to make shortcuts. It takes a shortcut between what you see, what you experience, and what you think. And it takes a lot of the everyday thinking away. It's called the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind, for most people, runs their life. The subconscious mind, uh, for example, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, for example, sees uh, uh, if you read the book Blink, 
the subconscious mind in Blink, he, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, it's one of the greatest books written, Malcolm Gladwell describes the fact that when you see something, within a blink, you think you know it because it triggers a memory in your back of your head of what you think that is. And he talks about skin color, race, sex, um, nationality, um, all sorts of things. A man or a person with a lot of tattoos on their face will straight away trigger a, a thought that something's wrong. Uh, and yet in the Maori community, faces, uh, facial tattoos are part of the beautiful decoration of the Maori uh, culture. And so it's very easy to have a memory of what something looks like and then uh, uh, have that judgment automatically triggered because, because of that memory. And what we're trying to do in getting down on, the, on our hands and knees on the ground is to have a, a real look. Now, that means that you hold judgment <clears throat> and don't use this subconscious part of your brain to interpret everything that happens to you in a day's work. Now, that can often mean you meet the same person you met yesterday. Let's say <clears throat> um, a week ago you had a bit of a bun fight with someone at work or they didn't do a job properly or they, they came to work and they were uh, hungover or they arrived late to a meeting or something. And so the next time you meet that person, you've got a memory. And that memory is, oh, this person's uh, the late one, this person is the lazy one, or this person is the one who made a mistake, or this person is one I can't trust, or this So you, you, turned up, you turn up with a preconceived idea of what you're going to get from that person. Now, that includes your own children, do you know that? Like if, uh, I, I remember um, I uh, live with uh, Kelly, uh, and she had a, a little son who was at the time, I think, about five. And the, the son had gone through a bit of a shit fight during the divorce of Kelly from her ex. And uh, it was a very intense shit fight that she'd been through. And the son had become what I would call a little rat bag. And uh, a cute as cute and a, a beautiful kid. But um, every now and again, he'd whisper something and you'd lean forward to find out what he was doing and he'd headbutt you on the nose. And uh, twice he headbutted me so hard on my nose. It, I thought it was broken and I went into the hospital to see if it was broken but it was my nose was bleeding like a stuck pig. And this little kid did it on purpose. And there was a, a, a piece of him that uh, was there and I, you know, I, I kind of like uh, wasn't in control of him. I, I, you know, although Kelly and I were living in the, uh, sharing a house uh, to uh, most of the time, uh, and he was there with us. I accepted that it, this was not this was outside the purview of my responsibility. But when the kid turned five or six, <clears throat> we were still together, and he was in the bath, and he was still being a little a little rat bag as a result of this terrible time that he'd been through with mum and dad. And uh, he he while he was sitting in the bath, he pulled the plug out. And his balls got sucked down the plug, and the and his little ball sack got split open, uh, just a little bit. It's only a little tiny little centimetre split, but it was enough to frighten the daylights out of his mum and and me and him in particular. And we rushed him off and down and got his stitches in his little nut bag. And uh, and, and there was a part of me going ha ha, and. I heard that voice inside me going, and I, I realised that I, I was carrying a memory of this kid being really a shit, and and 
and, I, and that memory was way away, stuck way down the back of my subconscious. And when this thing happened to him, although I operated in a really conscious and caring and loving way to get him to the doctor with his bleeding ball bag, I, there was one part of me going, ah, well, I hope this teaches you a lesson. And, and that's really disgusting because, you know, the, the little one was going through his little journey and there was no way that I, in a legitimate way, would have wanted to carry forward a memory, but I had. And in the book Blink, uh, he talks about, you know, co skin colour and race and all these things that we carry forward memories of. And the brain is an amazing thing. What it says is, if something happens, I'll just remember that to save me thinking about it next time. And the, the perfect example is driving a car. When you first start driving a car, you, you turn the wheel left and right to keep it going straight. But after you've been driving a car for a year, your hand is moving left and right to keep the car going straight. It's, it just does it automatically. You go around a corner, you don't think, turn the steering wheel or put foot on brake or put foot on accelerator. All, most of the driving of a car is, is automatic. And as you can see from some people's driving, um, or, uh, they've learnt to drive on a bloody speedway or a dodgem car track. <laughs> so their memory is uh, not necessarily the most uh, healthy memory. And so this memory in the back can cause us good news and it can cause us bad because people become as we treat them. So if you can't turn up at a day in a day's work with a fresh clean sheet of paper and meet everybody you meet as if you've never met them before, you're carrying memory and if, you, if that memory is not positive, if that memory is for some reason an antagonism or like me with a little kid with a headbutt, um, you know, if all these things, they start to carry forward and you start creating a world. You start manifesting what you're carrying. Now, if it's good news, Great, congratulations, you've got a memory of winning an event or passing an exam or earning a lot of money from behaving in a certain way. Well, good for you. That's good, good things to carry and who would want to interfere with that process? But if they're negative things, they can be destructive. And most of the good memories we carry forward have an attachment to the opposite. And so when a person says, I don't want to ever meet a person like that again, I will never uh, get involved with a uh, man or a woman like that again. I won't have a boss like that again. They, they create a positive aspiration through a negative desperation. desperation. And it, it is very unwise because the negative desperation manifests itself outside of us as clearly and as often as the, as the positive. So to clearly manifest, to be in a good space, to create what you want to create, to lead as you want to lead, some of these memories we need to erase. So one of the experiences that I, I practice on a retreat is to get people to get down on their hands and knees <clears throat> and observe in minute detail what they looked at from a very big height, like standing up, looking down at the grass. You don't, see, all you see is green and little thing, and the bigger things in the grass. But when you get your hands and knees and you start to open up the grass, you start to get the habit of peeling things open. You get the habit of not jumping to conclusions, not second, and, 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 and the one thing that we, we must all avoid at all cost is second guessing other people. And that is uh, trying to assume that we can guess why people do what they do. Uh, that's second guessing other people. It's saying, uh, I wonder why they did that. And that second guessing it, 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 it fills up our head <clears throat> Secondly, it's 
completely uh, uh, ungrounded, so it's all fluff. And thirdly, it <clears throat> most likely comes from a position of memory. So what we're trying to do is clean sheet it. Clean sheet every morning, clean sheet, clean like a white sheet of paper. You meet somebody and as much as possible, we're trying to say, I want to erase any negative memory of anything that's ever transpired with us and therefore treat you as I wish you to become and give me the opportunity to see you in the brightest light, in the best possible way, no matter how dark the experience was with the person in the past. You don't want to give them elation. You don't want to give them credit for being someone they're not, but at the same token, and so therefore there's a wariness for those people who've caused you danger. But at the same token, if you treat them as dangerous and they've caused you danger and that person has evolved or, or you're ready to manifest in a different way, <clears throat> the memory blocks you from treating them as you wish them to become. People become as you treat them. People become as you treat them. People become, we are the environment we create. Our thoughts are, come on, our thoughts are actions. So that's the exercise. Get down your knees, have a little look in between the blades of grass and get used to peeling things apart. Get used to looking for minor de minute details. We talk about minute details in every meeting you have. We are observing the tones of the sounds that you're hearing. These are critical things, the tones of the sounds. That's really listening, really listening to what people say. It's one of the distractions of a screen uh, computer when you do, do zooms and things, is you're looking at what people say. You can't really, really uh, get in there and in, get the intonation and tones. Uh, second thing is body language, whether people leaning in or out, you can't tell on a camera whether people are, uh, their body language under the table, it's all hidden. And all these things are very important for communication, especially when you're coaching people as a leader. And that's where we're moving to at the end of the 30 days, to realize that you have an, an accountability and a responsibility to coach people up or out. And if they won't be coached by you, <clears throat> you, you can't lead them. That's a really important piece. And coaching somebody, you're not telling them that you're the guru on something. You're just saying to them, I'm, an, I'm a leader. And I, therefore, therefore, in theory, uh, I should know about behavior more than you. Otherwise, what the hell am I doing here leading you? <laughs> and, what, and they would say, if this person's behaving like an nincompoop, if this person's all stressed and anxiety-filled and worried and out of balance and hungover or not getting exercise or, or, or stressing out about something, what the hell is that person telling me to do? How the heck can they think about that? Same with the kids are looking at you going, you're a stressed out, worried, anxiety-filled, overweight, um, bumbling person who doesn't like themselves and you're telling me how to behave? Uh, give me a break. So everybody's watching each other and and it's really good to realize that uh, it, uh, when you know, our behavior, uh, the ability to separate things into minute details, it also goes towards ourselves, looking for the balance, looking to do the discard form. So the next exercise that I love um, is um, focused hearing. And focused hearing, we talked about, is where you close your eyes and you just listen. You listen to the sounds around you, and this is another way of turning up. 
You, you can even put your hands behind your ears like a, like a, a imitate a, a deer or a dog, you know, when they put their ears up. And sometimes you can put both hands behind one, around one ear and listen to what, like a shell, and listen to the, as we used to do as kids, listen to the sound of the sea in a shell. But uh, uh, becoming aware of your hearing and it's all the different nuances of, of hearing is opens up a whole new environment. Now, remembering that the lowest sense that we have in our body, the most, most earthly sense we have in our body is smell. And then it goes up through the range and, and we start to say that touch, you know, feel is the highest sense. So that's the etheric one because you can feel things. And sight and all the senses correlate to the seven levels of the consciousness cone. Now, hearing, listening is right up there near the top, right up, way above sight. Now that, you would think, would be, would be a, a, a misconstruction of the human anatomy, but you think about it, you can hear things long before you can see them. You can hear people coming long before you see, you can hear what people think long before they speak. Now this, this sense, when it's tuned in, is just the most gifting thing. Now, what, one of the good reasons not to have earphones on too loud or earplugs or earbuds in too loud is because you block out one of the most beautiful opportunities to experience love and consciousness and stay in the top of the consciousness cone because you fill your head full of somebody full of that um, earbud and yes going for a walk with walker and, and doing the 30 days and having uh, uh, your gratitude walk in the morning with the earbuds in we 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 say choose a safe place choose a place where your eyes and the sight and your experience is going to be beautiful and you can add the sound of uh, learning into that. And that's really tuned in. But every now and again, it's really important to take the earbuds out and just sit and listen to all the Tweety Birds and all the little insects. I remember going to a Zen retreat once and I was there for, well, a long period of time. Let's, I went to many. so. Let's just talk about three weeks, sitting in Zen for three weeks. If you haven't done it before, it's, it's a worthwhile experience just doing a little Zen class at home. And all you do is you, you just sit down on a cushion, uh, on a chair, uh, about a meter away from a wall. You put a little pinpoint on the wall or just leave the wall blank and you just stare. Use the peripheral vision to soften your eyes and you just stare at the wall and your eyes will go uh, misty and your water will come out your eyes and you just gotta keep softening your eyes but keep them open and stare at the wall, stare at the wall. And that's Zen, that's it, finish, nothing else. Nothing else, your body doesn't move, you don't practice breathing anything, you just stare at the wall. I did this for three weeks. I did it for uh, uh, roughly 14 hours a day, uh, no talking, there were breaks every hour to stand up, stretch your legs, walk around, but those were not breaking the meditation. You had to stand up slowly. You had to uh, stare down at your feet. You had to walk really slowly, one foot in front of the other, just toes touching heels, walk around the room once, sit down, back into the Zen. And I did it for three weeks. And I can promise you, I could hear a snail crawling up the wall. When the snail's sliding along the wall, it makes a... And I could hear it. 
I could hear every sound. And that was by slowing down my eyes and not giving them uh, material to come into my face, I actually accentuated the quality of my hearing. Now that becomes pretty important stuff, especially if you're on a bike and there's electric cars around these days, Tesla's coming up behind you with no noise. And um, all sorts of, it gives you, it tunes you in, in a meeting, in an environment, to actually hear more than everybody else can hear. And when you're coaching another person, which is leadership, uh, you can hear things in the tone of their voice and in the conflict of their expressions. You can hear what's going on long before you see it. So that's the next exercise, and I love practicing that. A blindfold walk is a thing you do with somebody else. You create a, a little stringy path. You create a ball, a cheap ball of wool or a cheap ball of string, if you can still buy those things. And you go, go to a little uh, garden somewhere, like a, a pine forest uh, where people cuddle. And you make a little trail with that string around trees and you, you wind the string around a tree or a rock and you cross it back over itself. And then you what you've got to do is you, you blindfold yourself and the person who you're doing this with stands next to you. And then you just follow the string. And the goal is not to complete this thing quickly, but to experience as much as possible along the way, just holding the string. And you start to develop all these emotional experiences of feeling uh, uh, connected to the unknown. You, 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 you walk really gingerly and deliberately and you take it really easy and it's great fun to do with with somebody when you restrict the visual sense and you amplify the need for the other senses another one which i'd like you to practice and this audio is purely about these outdoor activities another one that i'd like you to practice called the human camera now you do this with somebody else typically, but you can do it alone. So one person becomes the camera and the other one is the photographer. The camera closes their eyes and is led around by the photographer. And every so often, uh, the photographer will stop, point the camera at something, open the shutter, which means the person who's the camera opens their eyes. They tap by being tapped on the shoulder. The photographer for keeps the shutter open briefly, tap on the shoulder, little brief tap for a few seconds maybe, and then tap again to close the camera. Now, the camera then has to, during that period, has to take in as much detail of the scene as possible in the few seconds they've got. The, the photographer will take five or six photographs and then ask the camera to verbally describe what was in these pictures. You can do it one at a time, or I prefer to do it maybe four or five at a time. And you can play this with kids, you can play this with your partner, but you can also do it yourself. You just, but you can't walk with your eyes shut, obviously. You, you walk with your eyes open, you stand still, and you just turn around 180 degrees, look, from, look where you've walked, so you haven't been able to see it from this angle before. Take a photo, close your eyes, Again, after a couple of seconds, and with your eyes closed, try to describe what you just saw. We, we play this, you can even do this, uh, we, we use it in the magnetism uh, exercises to create uh, magnetic positions by 
walking into a room, open, just take a photo in the room with your eyes and then walk out of the room and then stand there and try to describe what you just saw. The, the lamps and the carpet and the colors and the pictures on the walls and what you saw and how much, and then do it again. And each time try to describe things you didn't see the last time and just add to, your, add to the photograph. And that develops a photographic memory. And this is really important, again, when you're coaching people or when you're in a meeting or if you're in a negotiation with people, to be able to take photographs of the, to be able to be super aware of the environment, super aware of the expressions and the thoughts and what's going on behind the eyes of the other person. You can see a person's eyes harden and soften depending on whether they're telling the truth or hiding things from you. And this is a really important skill. So this is another one that I really love to do on a retreat. Um, there's just a couple more. The, the last two, the next one is called the drum stalk. Now this is a really cool thing to do, is you go out into a footy field and one person's got a little uh, a noise making instrument like two sticks or a drum or a kid's play toy or something. And you put your blindfold on and the person with the toy or stick makes a clicking sound or the noise and you've got to walk towards it. And better to do this in a, in a, uh, like a, um, a field or a little a forest which is not too um, uh, difficult to negotiate because you, you might go ding ding and that means take two steps forward. Then you might go ding ding ding, three steps to the side. And what you're doing is following the sound trying to follow where the sound is and actually at the same token be guided through a, an area where you're blindfolded. This is a fabulous game to play uh, with, a, with workshop groups and, and uh, it really does connect people to the earth because their feet are in, in unfamiliar territory and they're learning <clears throat> in a sense to trust their ears as guidance. <clears throat> Last but not least, is um, the onion hike. And this is a hilarious thing to do, but you don't have to use an, an onion. <laughs> you take a raw onion and you rub it on things, like uh, if you go out in a park, you might go into the same little bushy area, even a pine forest where people cuddle, and you rub the onion against a tree here and a rock there and uh, you move, you go a little distance away and you rub it on something else. And the person uses the sense of smell to guide themselves along a trail. They're sniffing. And it's extraordinary with a blindfold on. It's extraordinary. But even with not a blindfold on, to, to see, you can do it with a blindfold and then do it not. And to see that how little value the eyes are when it comes to following the scent of a trail. In fact, the eyes distract you. If you, if you really do play this exercise well, and you use an onion as an example, or a perfume or whatever, but onion's really easy because it's natural. If you rub the onion, people will start closing their eyes in order to engage the sense of smell. And that just shows you that we are very visually distracted uh, in this uh, world we live in. And we use visual, visual uh, vision as the dominant uh, sense when really it's not necessarily the most intuitive 
<clears throat> it's actually the thing that buys into memories. So the, the smell of a rose example is just the most amazing thing you can do because when you give someone a rose, they can smell it before it arrives and then they're checking with the rose to check in if the smell compares to the memory they have of what a rose should or shouldn't smell like. And quite often, um, there are roses these days that are produced in, in Asia that don't have a smell and they have to add the, the, the scent to the rose afterwards. And you can tell. <clears throat> you can really tell. So, um, yeah, look, uh, that's, the, that's it for today. And I, I would take this, if I were in your hands, I would take this uh, audio and m m um, somehow download it to your phone and or, or maybe make some notes to yourself and make sure you practice these ones. The peripheral vision is really important. The small view is really important. The using the hearing is really important. The other ones are just fun, but you can do them with your kids. The human camera, indoors or outdoors, you can, if I'm in a bus, I will do the human camera. I will look down the bus, then I'll look back at my book and try to remember what people are wearing on the bus, what, you know, who they are, and see if I can get a mental snapshot of the bus or uh, if I'm waiting in a reception area and I've got to kill a couple of minutes because the dentist is late or whatever it is, I'll play the human camera. I'll look up, take a photo, look down, uh, keep my eyes open, but sit there going, now what did I see? And I'll try to recall as much of the detail, then I'll look up again and, and look down and what did I see? And I'm really sometimes quite annoyed when they say, your appointment, Mr. Walker, you're ready. Uh, and I go, oh, shit, I haven't finished the game yet. <laughs> This is Chris. You have a beautiful day. Bye for now.